But I saw a marsh hawk. Of course, I didn't know what it was back then, but I saw a marsh hawk fly real low across the ground uh, when I was in uh, 12 or 11 or 12 years old. And I tried to follow it, and it landed. So I tried to see, I got within probably about 20 feet of it, and it was sitting there eating a mouse. And I was just totally fascinated with it. So that's when I went back home, and I went through some of those magazines, and I said, Dad, please, I want a hawk. Yeah. Well, you ain't getting one. Go get a pigeon. So that's what I did. I went out and got me a pigeon. Three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another fun-filled episode of the Falconry Told podcast. Uh, I'm here today with Tim Neese. Um, he's another local guy here in, in Evansville, and he's uh, he's a guy that's been in falconry since, what'd you say, the 70s? Is that correct? 1971. 1971. He even remembers the exact, you probably remember the same exact month and everything else, too, don't you? <laughs> uh, well, I know it was close to November. Because I'm an artist, mm -hmm. and in school, I was always painting pictures of hawks and birds. Mm -hmm. So one of the local guys around the Folsomville area had found a hawk that had been shot. Mm. And he knew I was interested in hawks, so he brought the bird over. It was about a three- or four-year-old red-tailed female. And... Uh, it didn't have any broken bones, so the wing healed up pretty good over about a six-month period. But I had no idea how to train a bird. Right. So me and my brother and Don Andrews and a few of the others, we were going out on these bird excursions with uh, Willard Gray. He was a county extension agent at the time, hmm. and uh, he was a bird watcher. Okay. But he noticed, he knew that I was interested in birds. Uh, we went to Land Between Lakes, and we watched the Eagles and all that kind of stuff. You know, I was 16, 17 years old. Still pretty young then. Yeah. Pimples all over my face, yes. <laughs> hair down on my shoulders. Yeah. I mean. Yep. Uh, but uh, I called him up and asked him about this bird, so he got a hold of a game warden for me. The game warden came out, and he gave me permission to keep it. And then he got a hold of Bob Bottomley, mm -hmm. who's also local, who's been in Falconry forever. Bob's a good guy. Good guy. And so I called up Bob Bobley. I went out there to meet him and his wife. And uh, he told me that he couldn't train the bird for me. I'd have to train it myself. But if I bought his book off him, <laughs> I would, for 10 bucks, in 1971, 10 bucks was, you know, yeah, for like, a 15-year-old. Right. 10 bucks. Right, right. But yeah. I bought the book from him. I took it home and I read it. In fact, I still have the book. Wow. And uh, it's a very good book on how to train passage red tails and even ice red tails and, what, and, and whatever else you want to train. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a book that is still relevant today if somebody were to read it, I think. That's cool. And uh, But anyway, I, I, I read the book. I trained this haggard red tail uh, and I caught four or five rabbits with it and... I turned it loose. Okay. And then I went out and took a... Actually, I got a bird from another mutual friend of Bob Bottomley's. 
I think it was Kurt Iker, actually, who I got Dina from. I can't remember exactly who I got the bird from, but she was an ice red tail. Mm-hmm. And she turned out to be a really great hawk. I mean, I ended up catching 17 rabbits with her the first year, which in those days was a lot. I mean, Bob Bottomley used to catch 20 and 25 rabbits a year, and that was a big deal back in 1970 to catch mm-hmm. that many rabbits a year. Well, I'm sure back then, you know, I mean... It- <clears throat> it's amazing how much terrain and, and how many spots and everything else that we've lost even in the last five years. I can only imagine since, you know, the seventies, you know, how, how things have changed with terrain and everything. I'm sure things were a lot woolier and a lot more open. And I don't know that is, I'm sure it was a lot different, you know, as far as how, how it all was back then with, with all that. And I'm sure the focus probably wasn't, wasn't quite on the, the numbers to a certain degree too. Uh, no, the focus back then was on doing your bird right. Right, yeah. And training the bird and getting it out. Mm-hmm. and uh, Which is the way it should be. You know, yeah. And I would yeah. come home every day from school and take Dina out. As soon as I got off the bus, I lived on a, about a 40 acres my dad had out in Folsomville area. And most of it was woods. And I would just fly. She would follow me through the woods. Mm-hmm. And every now and then I'd throw the lure out to her. And she became a very strong, powerful flyer by getting her out every day and doing that with her. I mean, I'd probably, until it got dark. Sure. And every now and then, we'd kick a rabbit up and she'd catch one. Mm. Uh, But most of her rabbits were caught in town that Mm. Bob Bottomley and Janice Bottomley would show us. And we ended up getting into the old dump there on First Avenue. Okay, yeah. Which was loaded with them. Yeah. So... The second year I had Dina, and Dina uh, was flown mostly off the fist. I didn't fly because the dump, the old dump, there weren't no trees hardly out there. Mm-hmm. So we had to fly those birds off the fist, and she became very good off the fist. And she ended up catching like 75 rabbits her second year, which back in those days, you know, that was unheard of. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not going to say it was unheard of yeah. nationally, but right. it was unheard of in Evansville, right. Indiana. For, for here, yeah. And uh, I got you. <clears throat> But she turned out to be a really great hawk. In fact, she won the 1976, the last competitive meet. The, na- the NAFA meet. The NAFA meet. And she took, I actually took two birds of that meet. I took an immature red tail with me that I was kind of trying to get going. She ended up catching four or five rabbits herself. But Dina ended up catching 20 rabbits and actually won the meet. Nice. And, which was, you know, for a. 20 year old i think i was 21 in 76 <laughs> you know that, that was a big deal for me yeah so. no i mean i so i that's something that you you bring up something there that i'm not really sure how many people are aware of that or not that the nafa meets even you know the younger guys like me until i think it was actually you that that told me about that story before um i didn't realize that that they even had competitive you know hunts and everything at the nafa meets back then so you know how, how did that work exactly i mean for well you had to, you had to have somebody it was like a field marshal and mm-hmm. bob bottomley was one of their field marshals mm-hmm. so they had to be out there with you as you caught these rabbits and they had to certify that each one of those catches were a catch yeah so you had to have somebody with you that nafa said okay this guy can be gotcha okay so and bob bottomley was that guy uh he was in St. Louis, so there was a lot of rabbits in St. Louis. Gotcha. So, I mean, Eddie Morgan had a goshawk that year, 
that was neck and neck with me and Dina. And he caught six rabbits, six rabbits, and six rabbits. Six per day for three days. Mm -hmm. I caught six, four, and then six. So I was two behind him. And he was definitely going to win that meet with that goshawk. Mm -hmm. Except it got sick. And then it died from Asper. And me and him used to argue all the time which was the better, the goshawk (laughs) or the red tail. Of course, back then, nobody could convince me that anything was better than a red tail. Mm -hmm. So... Is this this sounds really familiar. <laughs> and he said, yeah, but my bird died. I said, well, that's why red tails are better than goshawks. Because <laughs> goshawks tend to die. <laughs> but there's no doubt that Eddie Morgan, if his bird hadn't died from Asper, uh, would have won that meet. Because gotcha. that bird was, was, I hate to admit it, but she was better than that red tail. As far as catch. Because what, what happened with the red tail was she'd catch six rabbits. And she'd be fed up pretty good. So the next day, she wasn't so dang hungry. Right. So she'd only catch four. Mm-hmm. And she ended up catching six, four, six, and four. Mm-hmm. So it's... But I was proud of her. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's that's cool. I mean, that's... Yeah. that's uh, what, what were the next... Do you remember, um, like, the... What was it more red tails that were kind of like the runners up to uh to you guys or do you remember it all or? you know usually it was the red tails mm-hmm. that ended up winning the meets and i think the reason why is 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 they're they're just a calmer bird and they're uh the goshawks seem to be well they, they can die on you they get yeah. sick yeah the trips are hard on them right um People used to really push the birds, and I think the reason why they ended the competition is they, I think some of the guys were pushing their birds beyond really where they should have been pushed. Mm. So they decided that in the best interest of the birds themselves, they decided that they weren't going to do the competitions anymore. And that, that was probably a good thing, really. Because yeah. I, I, did, I, I didn't have to. Dina didn't need that pushing. She just loved to hunt. Yeah. But some of the guys probably were pushing their birds a little bit much i'd say eddie morgan was probably one of those that pushed his bird so maybe that's could be a reason why the bird just know, kept it too low for too long may, may have had it may may have had the bird just a hair too low yeah. i didn't know anything about goshawks at the time right yeah so i couldn't really say well plus you know the trip at the beginning stresses them yeah. keeping them low stresses them hunting them that you know even but though- after having goshawks and I love goshawks now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are, in my opinion, one of the best. As far as jackrabbit hunting, mm-hmm. that is the most fun. Jackrabbits and goshawks. That's. I mean, I think they pretty much put everything else to shame as far as just out there having fun. I mean, it looks like a bronco rider on a jackrabbit. It's just <laughs> they're usually really good long flights. Some of them, some of them are short. Mm-hmm. Depends on where the jackrabbit gets up from, but it's right. it's always fun. And, uh, well, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I agree, you know, it's, um, you know, it, it the, the stark difference between like, um, uh, like, you know, whenever I, I flew the, the Harris's, you know, on the jet, I mean, just watching like the, the difference in the flight styles between, you know, the, the Corvette versus the, <laughs> or whatever. I mean, it's, it's definitely nice, you know, it, and entertaining to watch for sure, because, yeah, it's it's if if nothing else for me, it's always it's always real fun seeing their reaction time, which is nothing. Like, and you know, other birds they might be a little bit more, 
they might think about it a little bit more, just be like a little bit more calculating. Agassi sees that slightest flinch of, of movement, you know, his jackrabbit ears pop up or whatever, that thing's gone, is not even thinking twice about it. And I it's it's always fun to see that and compared to um say your red tails and harrises and stuff, I think. But uh Well, the Harris Hawks, they're very good at it. Mm-hmm. It's just the flights aren't in my opinion. I'm yeah. sure a Harris Hawk guy would tell you I'm full of <laughs> Yeah. You know, uh, whatever. Yeah, right, but, right. Uh, uh, the Harris Hawks, the flight style for me mm-hmm. isn't as exciting as a goshawk. And the red tail on jackrabbits ain't either. No. But I have seen some red tails and I have seen some Harris Hawks that, that uh, are pretty spec- spectacular flyers and, mm. and are really fun to watch. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that there's a. Uh... And and also um, the flip side of that too is I've I've also seen some some goshawks that really weren't all that exciting. Well, I've seen some goshawks. I mean, I've seen <laughs> goshawks. I mean, I've had goshawks that were worthless. <laughs> and you know, I, I've heard people say that you can turn any goshawk into a good hawk. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe. Yeah, I wasn't able to. There right. were some goshawks, and, I, and I've flown a lot of goshawks. I, I don't know what the count is, but somewhere close to twenty-five, maybe. And I've mm-hmm. had probably seven what I would consider great goshawks, and most of them were good goshawks. A couple mediocres. In fact, the first one I had, Laramie, which I took in nineteen seventy-nine, was. A mediocre goshawk you know the most rabbits she ever caught was 50 she would pick and choose the flight she wanted but when she decided she wanted one she could, yeah. she could she could catch him no problem yeah, it wasn't getting away and then when i took her to texas on jackrabbits she was great hmm. she loved jackrabbits mm-hmm. now you know i went out there the first time with her and caught three jackrabbits with her and i thought that was you know, great. Yeah. And we took a red tail out there with us, a passage red tail, and she caught two. So we ended up catching five jackrabbits that year, me and Brent Maurer. Um, but the goshawks were, I mean, Laramie just, she took off for one flight. It was about a a good hundred yards, and she was smoking after this jackrabbit. And just before it hit the fence line, she hit it right in the head and just, stopped it cold hmm. which was i thought was just awesome bet you're a little puckered though as, as it got closer to the fence line a little bit though right <laughs> uh yeah when i start getting that close to fence line especially you're like, off, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay it's all right yeah yeah there's there's nothing like that that feeling of uh well of either that devastation or that 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 calm sigh of of relief afterwards after you know you just didn't watch your bird collide with something and die on impact you know instantly but uh <laughs> so but i took a mediocre goshawk on cottontails and she she was a really in my opinion then a great hawk on jackrabbits now i never got i only went back out there one more time with her and she caught two the second time after two or three i think she ended up catching six altogether but for me, that was, you know, you know, nowadays some of these guys like 
Mark Herman <laughs> goes after and catches 19 in a week. That's, <laughs> you know, that's that would have been unheard of to catch mm-hmm. that many jackrabbits. Um, it's it's not it's not that great though. Let's just be honest. We can't we we have to temper this down just a smidge because he's going to listen to this. You realize that? Yeah. Well, you know, Mark, <laughs> Mark Herman, to be quite honest, was a. <laughs> Very pleasant surprise for me and Joe, because I remember when he first asked, I think he had found, or somebody had found an injured bird. And, you know, me and Joe, he he was a big-time deer hunter, turkey Mm -hmm. hunter. We kind of discussed that, and we thought, he's not going to have time for falconry. He spends all his time deer hunting and (laughs) turkey hunting and all that, and... Yeah, we'll give him a shot. He probably won't work out like most of them don't. But we'll see. <laughs> then he just he just takes off and flies with it, and he really outdoes everybody. Yeah. And he's he's become a really great falconer. I mean, Joe, both. Really proud of the dude. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's always, if nothing else, you just want to see a a decent a decent turnaround for, for the, the time that you put into people. Yeah. You know, that's I mean, that's right. not, if, it's if like it, Bob Bottomley. Uh, he's the one who got me and Joe into it. And, you know, I've heard Joe, I mean, Mar, uh, Bob Bottomley say several times that he's really proud of the fact that he helped me and Joe get into falconry. Yeah. Well, you know, we met Eddie Morgan through Bob and Eddie Morgan's the one who got, who took me and Brent Maurer out to Wyoming in 1979 where I got Laramie, my first goshawk. Mm. And that was really kind of a kind of a weird trip, really, because we get up there, <laughs> we get on the main road, and he, he's already showing us some of these old goshawk nests up some of these ravines. So he's kind of showing us how they nest. And we're on this main road, and all of a sudden, old Eddie Morgan yells out, yonder she is, you know, like he'd just seen a well or something. <laughs> and we kind of, where? <laughs> so he pulls over and there's a, there's a nest right there on the side of this main road. It's a gravel road, but it's a main, it's Snowy Ridge or Snowy Range Road to the Laramie Mountains. Mm-hmm. And it's a main road going through the mountains there, hmm. which we didn't expect to see a goshawk just nesting right there 20 feet off the road. Well, yeah. No, I mean, you're, you usually have to go over about 50 miles of deadfall. And... Well, you usually <laughs> have to walk. I mean, that's what me and Joe ended up yeah. doing. I mean, Joe, me and Joe ended up going out there, and, and I kind of showed Joe what Eddie showed me, mm-hmm. which was not that much, really. Yeah. And then me and Joe carried that further, kind of like most of the young falconers do. You know, they, you teach them what you know, and then they... They make it better. Yeah. And that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. And that's kind of how it went with me and Joe. You know, we got, we, we were taught by Bob Bottomley and Eddie Morgan and some of the older guys. And then we learned how to do it just a little bit better. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what, as the old saying goes, it's, uh, it seems to be the burden of, of any teacher and that the, you know, the student eventually, if, if they're a good student, grows past what and they do. You know, grows past what what you are, and and, and, and that you Have with, to come to terms with that, <laughs> right? I mean, it's well, you know, I'm 64 years old now, so I'm at the point where I don't have the energy to get out there and trounce around, and <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I just don't have it. I don't have the. Well, I've had three back operations, and I just had one mm-hmm. ten weeks ago. So right. It's, it's time for the younger guys 
to get out there and keep the sport going. Yeah. Well, and that's uh, and that's part of the reason why um, you know, like Israel when he started this this podcast and stuff, um, you know, x amount of months ago, and and I started joining him doing it. That's really the the main motivation behind it is you know part of what keeps that going and what keeps people motivated mm-hmm. and interested and in going and stuff is well hearing about you know like hearing the stories like those nafa meat stories and and these other stories and stuff because let's face it you know if, if there's no initial interest in your in your in your, that kind of uh, uh little thing in your brain isn't peaked you know what i mean to to kind of stimulate it to kind of even get into this i mean who would <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of uh, I mean it's really cool once you find out about it and get into it but you know I, I don't obviously don't have to tell you that you know eight or nine out of every ten guys is going to approach you about it they see how much work work and, and BS it is um, you know and, and they don't make it no and they don't make it so you know I mean if, if, if there's not even that initial spark or that peak of interest you know it's, well it needs to be that way yeah. it needs to be I'm not saying it needs to be hard to get into factory but it needs to be hard enough where if somebody wants to get into it they have to work at it for instance you can't go out and do everything just like Bob told me I'm not going to train your bird for you Tim sure but I'll, I'll I'll sell you my book for ten bucks, and then you can learn how to do it yourself. <laughs> it's so funny. I can see Bob doing that. It's like, <laughs> it cracks well, me up. <laughs> I mean, ten bucks wasn't even much back then, really. It was to a seventeen-year-old. It wasn't to a twenty-nine-year-old. Right. Right. You know, I can remember going home and telling mom and dad, "Well, how, what was that, Bob and Janice like?" I said, "Well, they're an older couple, <laughs> and they're twenty. They're really nice." <laughs> You know, yeah, they're in their twenties. To me, they were an older couple. So yeah, yeah, it is funny how your perspective on that on that changes. You know, whenever you become the the older, <laughs> the the older whatever. You know, back in those days before the federal laws came in, we couldn't even fly passenger red tails. Mm-hmm. We could only take ices. Yeah. So we got quite good at flying ice red tails. Yeah. Like I said, Dina was an ice red tail, mm-hmm. and uh, it was. I guess 1975 when a federal regs went in, we could finally go out and trap a passage red tail. And we found out, man, this is a lot easier. <laughs> it's this bird does, isn't isn't quite so inclined to to try and eat my face off. <laughs> well, you know, Dina wasn't like that though. Dina was a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. She was she was so. I mean, we used to ride them on the back of our seats, me and Brentwood mm-hmm. in his Chevy. And uh, she was so, she got so tame. In fact, it, when we went to McDonald's, <laughs> she would start her tweeting and she would get all excited because she loved strawberry milkshakes. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. She, as soon as she saw the arches, she would start. So we'd go in there and get our hamburger, and I'd always get a strawberry strawberry milkshake, and she'd be sitting there tweeting how they carry on when he wants something, making a tweety noise mm-hmm. and stuff, mm-hmm. and kind of leaning over, wanting me to hurry up. And, and Brent goes, would you hurry up and give her? <laughs> so I would drink the milkshake down to about, well, there's about a third left, and I'd mm-hmm. cut the cup off a little bit so she mm-hmm. could, and she would just dip her head down in there and just start swallowing that stuff, and and, and she looked forward to that. That's funny. So that didn't that didn't affect her at all, huh? No, no. We'd go out and she'd still catch five or six rabbits. <laughs> I mean, she was a 
She just loved to hunt. And you, when you get a bird that just loves to hunt, they make you look good. Well, yeah, because, I mean, obviously that's half the battle is even getting them to yeah, want to I do got, that. I either. was very fortunate that the second red tail I ever owned, the first was a passage, that Dina was such a good bird. And I'm talking disposition... She was like a Harris hawk as far as her disposition. Well, really better because she didn't go. Well, she actually, she did go after dogs every now and then. <laughs> she went after, uh, she even caught a groundhog. Mm -hmm. But the one thing she wouldn't do, she would not go after jackrabbits. Mm. Which kind of amazed me that she had no interest in jackrabbits. She was a phenomenal. She caught pheasant. She caught quail. She caught a quail off the fist. Mm. She was really fast off the fist because she was flown. Her first two, three years, almost strictly off the fist. She got quite good at it. Hmm. Red tails can if you fly them that way. Right. Yeah. But I mean, if if most of the time you're just hunting them out of the trees yeah. like it's typical, and they're not getting near as much that muscle built up and that flight time and everything, I can see where that. Well, would... they get a different type of muscle built up when you're flying them off the fist from when they're young. Mm -hmm. The passage red tails build up their muscles in a different way, so right. most of their you know, they're coming down out of a tree. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're not going to be quite as good normally off the fist as a ice red toe would be, I think. But ice red toe is a lot more tougher to train. Well, yeah. I mean, they're, they're the biggest headache on a planet, usually their first year. The other one, well, most of the other ice red toes I trained, they were that. You got to watch them the first year. They were a little bit nasty sometimes. But after my second or third year, they'd grow out of that. And I found out that I found that ice red tails actually kind of get better as they get older, and it seems like the passage red tails best years are their first couple of years, and then they get pickier and choosy about what they want to go after. Well, and then you then you start also having the the hormone aspect of it kick in too, where you know you'd be flying them and then they. Just but you don't really have that with the iceberg so much. Well, yeah, I can see that. I mean, for sure. But I mean, it's like. If you fly a passage bird for, you know, three, four, five seasons, it seems like after a while, they, you know, you'd be out in the middle of a hunt. And, you know, I saw, a, you know, a couple of guys, birds do it. They, just, they see another red tail and they just want to go mate. <laughs> yeah, you know, up, usually know? ice red tails, they're, they're focused on you and hunting. Right. And by the time, by time Dina was five years old, she was phenomenal. I mean, she was... You know, I decided, it, and that's when she won the meet, and I decided, I told, uh, actually, it was Greg Howe that gave me that bird. Greg Howe had that bird. He trained her, and she was about, and he lost her for two weeks. Hmm. So she was out in the wild for two weeks. And when he retrapped her, he went to college, and he called me at one off I wanted her. Hmm. So I said, yeah, I'll take her. Kurt Iker had her sister. That's what that was. Kurt Iker, and that bird was phenomenal too. He ended up losing her, but they were they were both very flighty birds as far as very powerful flyers. Both mm. of them were. She used to beat her wings on the glove, and she would raise off the glove, and <laughs> and I'd be holding her with her jesses, mm -hmm. and she'd be pulling on her jesses, pulling my arm. That's how strong <laughs> she was. Oh. <clears throat> so she, she was just really physically and mentally and just a really good bird and I, I was very fortunate that i got a bird like that especially an ice bird that way i can't take all the credit and train her i'd have to give some that to greg howe mm. because he did originally train her gotcha but he didn't have her very long but yeah i had her most of her 
So, I mean, we kind of briefly talked about, um, you know, how things were, were different, you know, before all the regs, you know, were, were in and stuff and how you pretty much, like you said, you could only for a while there get ISs and everything, but was that pretty much any type of, any type of bird or was that just, or we could only have Kestrels and red tails. Okay. That's all we could have. Gotcha. So it was in the mid seventies. You said that, that the, the regs kind of changed. I think it was 1975 when the federal regs came in. Gotcha. And then we could, we could have, in fact, we could still take Pat. We could still take ice red tails, mm-hmm. but why would you, when you can go out and trap one and, I mean, I've had passage red tails out hunting three weeks after they've been trapped. Sure. And they just know what to do. Yeah. You know. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's definitely a. So much easier. Yeah. I mean, I've had that conversation with several guys too. And, but I mean, it's kind of like what you're saying though. I mean, if you, if you manage to get a red tail imprinted right and it turns out to be that extra little bit of phenomenal, so to speak, then it's enough to, to turn to turn some guys' opinions on on the whole if thing. You really, if you if you're willing to put it's just like an ice goshawk. Yeah. They can you know, you can mess them up and you can or you they can be meaner and crap too. Mm-hmm. But they can also be not so much that way. Right. Uh you just have to do it right. You just <laughs> have to do it right. Yeah. And ice red tails are no different. You have mm-hmm. to do it right. Yeah. Uh, and I was good with ice red tails. Probably I'm good with ice goshawks as long as they're about four or five weeks old. And red tails are the same way. If you take a red tail four or five weeks, it's a lot better than taking one at one or two weeks. Mm -hmm. You don't want to take them too young. In my opinion, I know other people would disagree with this, and that's Mm -hmm. fine. It's just whatever you know you're good at. I think everybody's you know. That's right. Some people like the the imprint goshawk or the Cooper's hawk or the sharpie at the earliest stage. Where I I always like them about three three and a half weeks or older Mm -hmm. because their their temperament's better. Number one, Mm -hmm. and it's easier to find their weight because for me an imprint. They lied to you. Well, yeah, their weight changes like four or five, whatever, however well, many times. Well, that's like they're yeah. starving to death. They're yeah. not afraid of you at all. Yeah. So it's hard. It's a lot harder to pinpoint their weight. And if you take a, any bird out, in my opinion, out hunting too fat, mm-hmm. uh, only bad things are going to happen. Right. And it's easy to do with a early imprint. So taking a, an IS bird at three and a half or four weeks old or even older my bet one of my best goshawks jada was she jumped out of the nest mm-hmm. i had to chase her down <laughs> yeah and she was a phenomenal i put her right up or if you take dina as a red tail and jada as a goshawk it's almost the same bird to me mm-hmm. they both had the same temperament sweethearts i mean i used to take jada across this bridge on first avenue tuck her into my coat and her head would be sticking out <laughs> and I could actually, if she was sitting on a table next to me, I could grab her tail and pick her up. And she would just look at me and just do this <laughs> side to side, moved her head and look at me. Went, what are you doing? You know, mm. but she, it didn't bother her a bit. And I'd set her back down. Mm. Her and Dina were, had those same kind of personality traits. Hmm. So you can take an ice red tail, just like you can take an ice goshawk 
and you can make a really good bird out of them if you're willing to put the work in to do it. Mm -hmm. It's just so much easier to take a passage bird to do it. Sure. But I think you're going to have, if you, if you took a four or five week old ice bird, I think you could have a better bird long term if you wanted to keep the bird around for years. Yeah, I, I, I can see where, you know, that there's there would be some merit to that for sure. And I mean, there's there's all kinds of guys, like you said. I mean, if there's one thing uh, falconers have a lot of, it's it's opinions and theories. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, I, I there's there's a lot of merit to that. I think also because, you know, with the passage bird, also you're you're getting what the bird is pretty much already. Yeah. You know, it's already been hunting. It's already learned how it wants to do something or whatever. And part of that whole thing with the passage, obviously, is is training one. You're kind of learning its quirks too. And, you know, if you want to fly a certain type of bird on a certain type of prey in a certain type of, type of way, well, that bird might not want to do that. But if you're willing to, to change your mindset and maybe mold what you're wanting to hunt or how you're wanting to hunt to what you notice that that bird might be better at or has already learned to do, then you, you might have a little bit more fun with it if you're willing to change your <laughs> you know your mindset on it but but you know with with a bird like you just described like a, a late technically like more of like a non-imprinted is then you're teaching it everything already yeah. so you know you have to teach yeah, it everything yeah so i mean it's 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 a situation obviously where you're it's it has no choice but to learn how you're teaching or what you want it to do you still have to do it right, obviously, but you know, I mean, I, it just, like I said, it just depends on what you're wanting to do. Well, that's it, what right? I told, uh, Bill Rosenbarger about mm -hmm. Harris Hawks. Mm -hmm. I said, fly that bird off the fist as mm -hmm. much as you can mm -hmm. and you'll have a good fist hawk and eventually you'll have a good tree hawk if you want to. They'll do mm -hmm. both as long as you start out with the fist. Yeah. But if you start them out in the trees, they're not necessarily ever going to be any good off the fist. So if you want a bird, you can fly off the fist. Well, Harris Hawk's a good fist bird anyway. Mm -hmm. But they don't like to sit on the fist. Most of them don't at first. Yeah. But if you train them that way, mm -hmm. and, and Bill Rosenberger took my advice on that. He's, he And he's even told me himself that that was some of the best advice he got on. And that's how I did my red tails, my ice red tails. I flew them off the fist first. Sometimes nothing but the fist the first year. And, for instance, Dina not only was great off the fist for a red tail, she was also good out of trees. Because mm -hmm. she could flat move out of a tree. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's the same thing as, like, if you, for example, like, you get a, someone transfers, transfers, like, a Harris Hawk to you that's, I don't know, say, four or five years old or something. And they tell you beforehand, well, I've I've never hunted this bird off off the glove or off the fist or whatever. Well, yeah, I mean it's pretty evident that there's a lot of merit to what you just said with that too, because try and hunt a bird that's been hunting for four or five seasons off the glove and it's not gonna stay there. <laughs> like especially a Harris or one of those types, you know, it's not going to want to do it. It's going to leave your glove as soon as possible and go for a tree or whatever. Which I had a hair yeah. sock, a little male hair sock mm -hmm. that he he just refused to stay on the glove. Mm -hmm. And but that was one you had transferred to you, right? If I remember yes. right, right? Yeah, but he had never really been Well, he had way, right? been in his first year, but I think the second owner 
uh, flew him strictly out of trees. So he decided he just wanted to fly. By the time I got him, all he wanted to do was hunt out of the trees. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't keep him on a gov. He baited and baited and baited and mm-hmm. baited, baited. And he was a 24-ounce male Harris hawk, which loved a rabbit hunt. Mm-hmm. But if I kicked a rabbit up, he would fly over it, fly to a tree, and then go after it if he still had time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that... It's just, I think, a good idea. If you if if you want, I mean, if you live out west or someplace where there's no trees, mm-hmm. you don't have any choice to fly them off the fist. Yeah. Well, or yeah, I mean, if it's and those birds are probably very good off the fist because of that, because they don't get hunted off trees very often. Really great. I mean, I I, I became um, when I flew that that little bird that uh, that Dennis, you know, Samney loaned me earlier mm-hmm. this year. Um, I became a huge advocate of the tea perch with that bird. Yeah, that so, would be good too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I I became a huge fan of tea mm-hmm. perches with with that bird for sure. Um, in general, I mean, especially it's if you're um, if you're hunting jacks with uh, with Harris like a cast of Harris's, you know, two of them. You get a you make yourself a tea perch that's big enough to hold both of those Harris's up there. You've and you're hunting jacks in those open fields like that. That's a uh, probably your best bet probably, you know yeah. Harris, Harris Hawking yeah. with jackrabbits I mean it's your your recipe for success is going to go up exponentially too many trees <laughs> no no too many not. trees in Kansas no <laughs> so but uh, but yeah so kind of going back a little bit and then we kind of uh, went off on a couple of different paths with that and everything but uh, you know you mentioned the uh, like the artwork aspect of that and you know it's kind of funny because I didn't realize until like a summer picnic of ours or two ago when I saw one of the, the paintings, like a print of one of the paintings that, that you had done. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't even realize that you would even, that you even did art at all or were an artist and stuff. So I, how long have you, have you been doing that since you're tiny or? Well, when I was five years old, uh, I was looking in the newspaper and there was a picture of president Kennedy he had just become the president of the United States in 1960. So it was 1960. And I sat down with a piece of paper and I copied, I didn't trace it, but I copied his picture on a piece of paper. Hmm. And I told mom and dad, look what I just drew. And they accused me, oh, you traced that. Huh. I said, no, Mom, I didn't trace it. I drew it. So they made me sit down and do it again again. (laughs) in front of them. Yeah. So, you know, I I realized that that was something special because everybody made such a big deal. You know, when you're five years old, you do something. Well, you know, I guess most five-year-olds are just doing stick stick men and stick women. Some 36-year-olds still, like this one, can barely draw a stick figure. (laughs) So... So I got interested in, in drawing and, and uh, mostly dinosaurs back in those days. <laughs> I was fascinated with dinosaurs. Yeah. And uh, I used to draw old ships in school. And all through school, I got pretty much straight A's in art. And I think one of the reasons why I got a... A B average in high school is because I took two art classes my senior year. <laughs> <laughs> so, Makes sense, yeah. A couple study halls. Yeah. <laughs> well, the uh, the fascination with the dinosaurs, I guess that kind of makes sense on how you eventually started kind of like in a, 
you know, the Raptors and, you know, doing some of the artwork of, of all that. Oh, too, but, I know, tried was... my best to get my dad to buy me a hawk from that magazine sale. What was that? Girls Branch or something. I can't remember the name of the place it was selling them, but they were always advertising selling hawks. Yeah. And That's so funny. He, I tried to get him to buy me a... I think they had a Savannah hawk for sale or something. <laughs> so, nope, ain't buying you no hawk. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because there's there's been some other guys that that Israel and I have talked to about about that also, where it's just like back in the day, you used to be able to open those those catalogs and stuff, and you could buy anything from a Savannah hawk to a Golden Eagle <laughs> out of the back of these magazines for, well, what would be the equivalent, obviously today or be equivalent of pennies on the dollar you know but uh but yeah i mean there's there's guys that talk to that um you know they've they've gotten everything from golden eagles to redheaded merlins to to whatever out of these magazines and stuff and like so you never you never got any birds that way no i think i was in the eighth grade when i tried to get dead i saw a marsh hawk of course i didn't know what it was back then but i saw a marsh hawk fly real low across the ground mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in uh, 12 or 11 or 12 years old, and I tried to follow it, and it landed. So I tried to sit. I got within probably about 20 feet of it, and it was sitting there eating a mouse. Hmm. And I was just totally fascinated with it. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's when I went back home, and I went through some of those magazines, and I said, Dad, <laughs> please, I want a hawk. Yeah. Well, yeah. you ain't getting one. Go get a pigeon. So that's what I did. I went out and got me a pigeon. <laughs> so I, I raised a couple of pigeons for uh, about a year or so. But Yeah, poor but, substitute. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know I'd eventually be raising pigeons to feed the hawk. Yeah. <laughs> is, there, is there anything um, in all the years that you, of course, you said, obviously, you know, physically and everything, you just can't keep up with it as much nowadays, which happens to tons right. of guys that, that, that in, the, in the sport and everything but is there anything that you think that you would have liked to have done with certain types of birds or whatever that that you just didn't get a chance to do or uh my a... my dream hawk was also always a european goshawk mm. but i just never really could afford it and i never could really because i know how fragile goshawks are mm-hmm. you know i've I had one goshawk for 18 years. I've had one for 14 years. I had two or three for six, seven, eight years. Uh, but a lot of them, out of the ones I've flown, I mean, one of the best goshawks, one of the best goshawks I had uh, that I got from the Bighorns, uh, she died through moat from West Nile virus. Yeah. You know, I, and I've actually had a couple of them die from before they actually came out with a vaccine, a vaccine or whatever, or whatever yeah. they got for them now. But, mm-hmm. but, and that really, Camille, she was such a, for me, she was, she was a bird from, you know, Jada died in 86. And then I get, I get this bird in 2000, I don't know, early 2000s, mm-hmm. 2007, I believe. So I waited, you know, to, a long time to get another bird like that and it really 
you get a little bit longer you know f you know when you're 50 years old you wait 20 years for a bird like this and then you have a really good first season with it, and then it dies and molt halfway yeah. through its molt it's <laughs> it's pretty devastating really sure. yeah you know you really you fall in love with these birds mm. and i've seen guys just quit and i didn't just quit but i tell you what it, it did zap the life out of me a little bit because i got a couple other goshawks after that and they were just mediocre yeah and it well, does and yeah. and no, i'm I, sure i'm i'm I, I know i don't i'm not sure i know i'm not the only falconer that's been through that oh i i think that almost every yeah every falconer to you know <laughs> any almost every falconer that does this with any regularity <clears throat> ends up with a bird that they just get totally attached to even to, even despite despite knowing going into it that you shouldn't you know, there's there's some birds just give you such fond memories that you just can't help but be mm -hmm. overly sentimental about them. That being said, eventually you have to either, like you said, either have to kind of get over it or quit. <laughs> because I mean, if if you if you get too attached and you can't get past that aspect of the of the sport, then it probably truly isn't the sport for you. No. Because it, you know, every every bird is gonna die. It it doesn't matter if it's with you or without you or whatever it's just like any other animal that you're going to encounter in your life whether it be a cat dog hawk whatever yeah. it's gonna die eventually probably before you unless it's a golden eagle it might outlive you <laughs> but that's the reason why that's another reason why i never opted to spend the money on a european bird mm -hmm. because back in those days if you wanted a european a german bird which or any of those other birds they were breeding back you know 30 years ago 20 years ago you're looking five or six thousand mm dollars -hmm. and i could not i could just not uh i couldn't see myself spending that much money because it, when you see five thousand dollars land on a utility bowl which i've had happen to me <laughs> yeah you know it's in one of the videos one of my mm -hmm. birds getting electrocuted mm-hmm but when you see a $5,000 bird doing that mm -hmm. versus one you went out to Wyoming to get, and you might have, you might have. After trip expenses, five, thousand, six, yeah, it's a thousand. Yeah, maybe a thousand in a yeah. total, but you had the trip and the memories of the trip too that right. you paid for. You just didn't, you didn't spend that money just to get the hawk. Mm -hmm. But if you go spend five or $6,000 on a goss hawk mm -hmm. and it runs into a fence or a window or dies from asper, or anything could be anything yeah i mean i get it now you got your wife on your butt and, <laughs> and you got it's just to me it just wasn't worth spending that kind of money on a bird uh when yeah. i could go out to wyoming and get a right yeah you, you, you take a chance even going out there where you're going to get a good bird or get a bird at all or get a bird at all yeah. we've been out there and not got anything me and mm -hmm. joe have been out there several times and come home without goshawks mm -hmm. and you know back in the day you had to leave uh two birds in the nest huh okay and you could only take them out of a specific area if your permit was good for area five or six you could only take it out of the five or six mm -hmm. or whatever area your permit was for some states even still have that you know depending right. on yeah they have those uh 
wildlife preservation areas that they won't let you pull from and everything else still so and you never really knew what area you're going to get your permit from because it was a draw system gotcha yeah so uh me and joe went out there i don't know how many times and like one year we went out there and we found two nests one nest had one bird in it the other nest had two birds in it and uh we had to come home without a bird and we ran into the sun uh, the head law enforcement agent in Wyoming, he was actually out checking nest yeah. that the state of Wyoming <laughs> knew about. We ran into him. He was coming down off this mountainside. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were got to talking, and we told him that we got two nest sites that he did, didn't know about, and he didn't know about these two nest sites. We'll give them to him if he would just give us one mm-hmm. that we could that had three birds or more in it so we right. could pull a bird. Mm-hmm. And, of course... He said, no, if I do that, my dad would kill me. <laughs> so I'd probably lose my job. Yeah. Well. I said, huh? we said, okay. Well, so, anyhow, me and Joe went home without a bird that year. Yeah. And that's not the only year. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you're taking a chance when you take a trip like that. But it's like I said, the trip itself, we just loved doing the trip, me and Joe yeah. did. We loved hiking around the mountains. If we came back with a bird, great. If we didn't, well, we still had a good time. Sure. Yeah, and, and you kind of have to go out there with that mindset, you know, beforehand. Like, you can't build those expectations up unreasonably because if you do, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. You know, you, nothing else. You just take a week to, to go and have some fun. You know, treat it like a glorified camping trip, and it's a bonus if you get a bird. <laughs> you know, It that, is, but like in 92 where we found 11 active nests, mm-hmm. and we had, we helped several people get birds. Yeah. And we were able to do it always legally me mm-hmm. and joe were set on that mm-hmm. nobody who we're helping it's all going to be done by the book because in the state of wyoming you do not want to screw around with the state of wyoming they yeah. will bust you big time if you go out there and and uh and do it the wrong way yeah. and, and why do it the wrong way when they're letting you do it the right way yeah, yeah. as long as it's legal and they're letting you do it the right way do it the right way. I mean, all, all it takes is for one person there, you know, to, or, or for them to get rid, you know, get, get wind of, of the one, just that one person. That's all it's going to take, you know, in, in some of those situations to, to, um, raise a big enough stink to, well, next thing you know, they just won't let anybody do it anymore. You know, it's just, that's right. Yeah. So I, I, I get you. No, I mean, it's, uh, well, and, and the thing is too, is especially if you know where there's 11 nests or whatever, well, we have, me and Joe, over, since we started going after 1983, and... Uh, the, the year I was born, by the way. Just <coughs> <laughs> throw that out there. Well, I went after in 78, <laughs> or 79, so you were like a twinkle in your mom's eye then. <laughs> yep. But uh, I took Joe out there in 83, and me and him went out there, not every year, but on and off, quite a few years. And we normally took somebody out. We kind of limited it because we knew it's it's not that easy getting a bird out there. Even though Wyoming laws were probably the best in the country at the time. So they, Wyoming made it as easy as they could, really. Mm-hmm. So so we always knew we had a chance to get birds. Now, in 92, we go out there and find 11 nests. And in the, like 89, 90, 91, 92, 93... 93 wasn't so good, but but uh, 
there was about three or four years there where we found a lot of nests, but we ended yeah. up with about 50 nest sites. Now, out of those 50 nest sites, usually only five or six were active a year. Yeah. yeah but it took us a long time to build those sites up. Well, sure. I mean, that's that's the thing is... Years. Yeah. No, I mean, it's... I, I know whenever, uh, you know, I went out there with, uh, with everyone, uh, well, I guess it'd be three years ago now. Um, I mean, gosh... Randy and, and Mark did way more hiking than the rest of us, but heck, even the rest of us, I mean, dozens and dozens of, of miles over deadfall and everything else, you know, just looking for, and, you know, it went to eight different nest sites and only one was active, <laughs> you know, I mean, they found that one nest, you know, and it's, um, and that's usually the way it is or was in Wyoming. We, we'd go through, you know, when you, you, you try to walk 50 nest sites in a week. Just yeah, try it in Wyoming, to yeah. those mountains at altitude. Just yeah. try it and yeah. see what it's like. It's not easy. No. And, uh, <laughs> no. and me and Joe did it for two weeks. We did the, the Gosshawk thing for a week. Then we hiked all around the desert looking for a prairie falcon because he wanted to take a prairie falcon. Mm. And then we came back down to Medicine Bow and spent another two days looking for Gosshawk. So we did it for two weeks. Yeah. That would kill me now. <laughs> There's no way yeah. I could do that now. No, and even just a few years difference, when I was more in shape then as opposed to now, I was you know, telling some of these other guys about my um, trip to Utah to get the, the prairie that I have now and stuff. But, like, we, we also went and um, pulled a, a peregrine. And, you know, you know how I was shocked, really, just to kind of see it with my own eyes, like how different the location of a prairie eyrie is as oh, opposed yeah. to a peregrine irie yeah. but you know i mean we long story short i mean the the trail they decided to to go up was seven and a half miles round trip and that was just the trail and that was also at a 70 percent incline and uh i was totally not dressed for the occasion at all and I mean, there was another three miles on top of that that wasn't trail <laughs> and and uh that that about killed me i don't i still like i, I fell and I don't even know how many times on the way back down and everything. I'm, I was saying so many, so many naughty words on the way back down that that mountainside. Jeez, but yeah, it's crazy, man. I mean, like, it's it truly is different too, to seeing like so the way Joe and, and them described it too was, um, you know, like the, the spot they, that we went in Wyoming. I mean, there's a lot of um, uh, of that area that's kind of been ravaged by the. Uh, those those the beetles, beetles yeah the pine beetles and stuff too and then all the logging they've done and everything i mean it's it's completely well, different you know, from the, the logging thing actually helped in a lot of ways getting goshawks it, it i don't believe it ever really hurt the goshawk because goshawks are number one are very adaptable and most of the goshawks we found were in logged out areas yeah i can remember eddie morgan telling me when he that first year he took me out there don't look in the logged out areas Goshawks don't nest in those logged out areas. Well, me and Bob Bottomley went out there in 87, and we couldn't find any goshawk nest in the traditional stuff that Eddie Morgan was showing me. Mm. This, is where I, this is when I say I learned something that Eddie didn't know. Mm. It was partly by accident, but it was also partly like, huh, you know what, I'm not sure I'll buy that. Yeah. So... Me and Bob Bottomley went around checking out, just driving down all these old logging roads that had been previously logged like a year, two, or three years earlier. Mm -hmm. 
and we found three of them. Yeah. Huh. And what 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 they do is, it, as long as you don't take out that strip of woods where the nest is, and you leave it connected to a larger section of woods, so they can come in and out of there without red tails seeing them or ravens or whatever. Mm-hmm. They'll nest in there, and uh, I remember one of the nests that I took a bird out of that year that me and Bob were there. It was it was the same nest that I took Jada from in '86, hmm. the year before. Hmm. I went out to Bob to help him get a bird, and I wanted to get a second goshawk, so we went to that nest site, but it was all logged out. It, they were logging it the year I took Jada in '86. Oh, okay. When me and Eddie Morgan went down there, they were logging it that year, and she was, she had nested before the logging started. So Eddie Morgan thought that bird would never be back in here. I remember him saying that bird would never. Well, that bird wasn't back in there, but an immature bird was in there nesting huh. in the same nest. Jeez. So the young adapt, and on top of that, when you get these young birds that are raised up in a logged out area, where do you think they're going to look for? Yeah, that's what they know. That's yeah. what they know. Yeah, yeah. I'd so makes sense. Since that time, most of our nest sites are in logged out areas, mm. not in this prime, primo, thousand-year-old forest of people. <laughs> oh, it's the only place a goshawk will nest. That's kind yeah. of what I was taught in the beginning. And I find out, you know, that's a bunch of bunk. Yeah. And the loggers kept the pine beetles out. I talked to several of the forestry people there when the pine beetle infestation started, and the problem was they, the environmentalists in Wyoming were stopping the Forestry Service from going in there and cutting down those trees because they wanted nature to take its course. Gotcha. Well, you see what happened. Nature took its course, <laughs> yeah. and now there's no trees out there. There's yeah, no it's... pine trees out there because the Forestry Service was prevented from doing their job, which they had done for, hundreds, for 100 years. They've been doing it. As soon as the pine beetle infestation would start, the forestry people told me and Joe that they were allowed to go in there and cut. In fact, they, they'd send logging crews in there, mm-hmm. and they'd log out those whole sections where those pine, beetle, pine beetles were. Well, they weren't allowed to do that. So now look what's happened. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's now it's, it's you you cry when you see it. Yeah, it's it's barren, like in some areas. It's, they want to blame it on climate and all this other stuff, <coughs> but it's it's because they would not allow the Forestry Service to do what they've been doing for over a hundred years. Yeah. Well, you know, there's only so much you can do about all that. You know, well, it's done now. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. gone. Yeah, the forest and medicine bow, it's gone. Yeah, but there ain't nothing I can do about it. So yeah. Yeah, no, I feel you. Well, I mean, yeah, ironically enough, the one nest that we found whenever we went was in an aspen. <laughs> well, <laughs> also, you know, and that's a- what they'll do. But the problem is this. When you cut all the pine trees out of a forest, the red tails move in. Mm-hmm. And when the red tails move in, guess what they do? They try to push the goshawks out. Sure. So the goshawks have to find a little niche now somewhere where there ain't a red tail. And that's, believe me, that's hard to do because red tails love those mountains too. Everywhere. Occasionally, you'll find a red tail that tolerates the goshawk and they're nesting close together. Mm-hmm. Every now and then we found that, but not very often. Usually, mm-hmm. the goshawk would get ran off the nest. They'd be killing each other babies out of the nest. We've seen that. We've seen a goshawk fly right. We were underneath the red tail nest, 
and a golf stuff came through and grabbed one of the babies <laughs> and took off with it. And wow. we followed the goshawk and we found her eating the baby hawk red tail under a log. How big was the was was that? It was about same? a two and a half week old red tail. Okay. Wow. And she just grabbed it and took right out. Man, the red tails are screaming. But the red tails prevented her from nesting at all. Ah, okay. That's kind of nature's poetic justice, then. Right. <laughs> and that—that's nature. And that was in. That's when the force was still there. So you know that battle happens. What do you think is going to happen when the pine trees and the cover is gone for the red tails? Yeah. I mean, for, I mean for the goshawks. Yeah, I mean it's the red tails are going to win that battle. Yeah. No, I mean it makes sense, but. Well, I mean, believe it or not, but we're we're actually at an hour already. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I, I hope I didn't say too much that you're going to have to edit. Um, well, <laughs> you know, I'll just, whatever. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's all good. I don't think uh, there will be too much in there that we'll have to edit, um, except for the part where we talked so well about Mark, where I might have to cut that yeah, part out. Yeah, we need to cut that out. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> what was I thinking? Yeah, you weren't. You weren't. It's, <laughs> but anyway, man, thanks, thanks for taking a, an hour out of your day today to come join me and, um, I really appreciate it. So it's fun, and and it was fun for me too because honestly, I <clears throat> until today I hadn't even heard the story from you as to how you even got into this. So it was kind of cool to hear for the first time. So, but uh, anyway, appreciate it, man. And hopefully, uh, maybe someday we can uh, we can talk Joe into joining us for one. We'll yeah, we'll it'd be nice if he'd been here to talk. Yeah. I think he had. He had more important things he had to do. But. Well, you know, there's there's a lot of important things that are more important than this. But yeah. you know, it's 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 fun when it works out. So that's true. But uh, <laughs> all right, bud. Well, thanks a lot, and uh, we will hopefully do this again soon. So okay. appreciate it, bud. Yeah, no problem. <laughs>